We love running. It's something that we've done all our lives and a great way for when we feel stressed or feel tense or feel a little down, going out for a run, we find, can really replenish our soul. Yeah, when we travel, we that's what we end up doing. We end up, first thing we get off a plane or a car or whatever, always want to go for a run like a pair of dogs. Just makes us feel good. Releases chemicals in our brain. Anyway, back a few years ago, a friend gave us a pair of shoes, said these shoes are going to change your life, lads. And they have done. They're barefoot shoes. They're called Vivo Barefoot. We've worn nothing but them for the last six years. And I found them to be wonderful. They really have enhanced my foot strength. And subsequent research has shown that by wearing Vivo Barefoot shoes over in a matter of months, you'll increase your foot strength by 60%. The muscles in it actually build. There's a wide toe box so you can spread your, your toes out, which will encourage more grip and you're less likely to develop um, bunions. And they have minimal soles. So that means two male soles. So super, super low. And it, which means that you've got, it really helps with your alignment. You know, if you think about it, your feet are the foundation of your body, your feet, your knees sit on top of that, then your hips, then your spine and then your head. So it all starts with your foundation with your feet. So when your feet are flat on the ground, it really, really helps. I've certainly found in myself, my feet are stronger. My alignment is better. I used to get pains in my knees from yoga, from doing the lotus position. I don't get them anymore. Anecdotal, I know. But uh, we, we are absolute believers in them. They're a B Corp company. They're all about sustainability and doing their best. And we've partnered with them to give you a 15% discount. So if you're interested in trying Barefoot Shoes this year, we'd highly recommend you try in Vivo. If you one, use the code HAPPYPAIR15 at checkout. One really cool part is that there's no risk. They're often a 100-day return policy. So you can order them, avail your 15% discount, and then 100 days later go, nah, not for me, and return them. No questions asked. So. And they have full range for kids, for adults, for going to the office. For We wear the hiking boots on the farm all the time. They're great. They're like worker boots. And we run in them. We ran 50 kilometers there in their trail running shoes there a few months ago. And uh, yeah, they're great anyway. So happy pair 15 is the code to use at checkout if you ever want to check them out. VivoBarefoot.com. Hello and welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast, where we explore ideas and really concepts of how to live a better, more fulfilled life. And I guess that's the core of it. I'm Dave. And I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. Yeah, and we're delighted to have you. We've been, for the last 20 years, we've been really living it and trying to explore all aspects of health and fulfillment and happiness. And really, this is a place where we have conversations with people to try to further explore these ideas. Who, like people who explore... Uh, like explore different diverse things themselves so and explore is a very relevant word today it is oh. indeed but before we get there oh, Sarah Ken, how's your week what well, happened this week for you <laughs> I know you've got something exciting to share I've got something exciting to share well two things uh, Stephen you commented on one of Sarah went running since, I did. Uh, so Sarah's recently just had little baby Ralph he is now four months correct four months yeah. old he's now four months old and Sarah went for a run I Three did kilometers three, three kilometer run which is my second run the first one was for one kilometer which I pissed myself so anyone who's had a baby <laughs> like pissed yourself with fun or like, actually urinated on yourself <laughs> definitely not fun <laughs> literally just pissed myself running oh wow I know Oh, I know. often they're the parts of like having a baby that aren't People, just they're, that they're they're brushed you did lots of those uh, what do you call those uh, Kegel, uh, Kegel muscle Kegel I know but I think it's always even a psychological thing that you people talk about it so much and you haven't done that motion in so long like and it's a compounding motion you know what I mean yeah that it just the thought came into my mind and, and then, then suddenly I pissed myself and well you just got to keep running don't yeah, you but of course it wow. was I went for a three kilometer run and I didn't but it's funny how like you said it's the things that don't, people don't talk about too much and then once I mentioned to anyone they're like oh yeah don't be going on a trampoline don't be doing any trampoline's jumping. the one that you hear time and time again I'm never yeah. on a trampoline again and don't be doing any jumping jacks or anything yeah. and you're like Jesus that's so limiting not that I'm jumping on uh, trampolines all the time but uh. no you don't like to limit yourself <laughs> no wow. but the other thing that well, I want to mention the main yeah, event I've had news a big, with Sarah Fawcett the news of Sarah Fawcett I've had a big week I won the lotto 
<gasps> are we all going to the Caribbean and to the Bahamas? We are with my 500 quid that I won. <laughs> 500 euro. Woohoo! I know, but it's it's funny because if you win the actual Euro Millions or anything like that, uh, if you announce it to people, I think you have to give... I don't remember the percentage. I think it's like half of it you have to give back like, and they, they keep it or whatever. Um, but if you decide to... Uh, that's if you don't announce it. If you decide to keep it to yourself and not tell people that you won. Whereas the other way around, you got to keep it all. So would you announce or would you not announce? If I won the lottery. I'd hate to win it. I, I'd never do it. And something that, whatever way, there's this like little stoic thing inside me is like, I don't want to win the lottery. I don't want to ever do it. No, I don't want a lottery ticket. You can have it for me. I don't want it. I don't want to win. Yeah. And, and it's uh, like, I remember watching a TV show years ago where they tracked people who'd won the lotto before and after and got their stories. And they typically don't end up any happier after winning the lotto. Yeah. You know, quite the contrary. You typically... You know, that was that was according to this show, which I remember watching about 10 years That's ago. Right. I think I'd be deadly at winning the lotto purely for that reason. I just think I know exactly what to do. With what, would it. You, what would you do with it? Well, I'd straight away just give to people. I'd be class at winning it because I wouldn't, stuff. I'd just share it straight away. But then I would go, then I would challenge that because we all have ideas of how we would be. A bit like being a parent. You have loads of ideas of how you would be when you were going yeah. to be a parent. That's so easy being a parent. Oh my God, wait till I'm a parent and I'm going to show all these chumps yeah. how to do it. <laughs> Screens, I'm never to give my kid a screen or whatever it might be. And then you're a parent and you're like, oh my God, it's really hard. I so I wonder when you win the lotto, like the idea of winning the lotto versus actually winning it and you've got all these people coming at you going, can I borrow a hundred grand? Can I borrow 20 grand? On my car broke. Great business idea. I'm, I'm your second lost cousin, and I, you know, so I, I think there's the challenge, and then charities, and just I, I, I imagine it can't be easy. Yeah, but if you get rid of it, like, okay, for example, what did I do with the 500 quid I won? Gave half of it to my uncle Rory, who bought me the ticket, who's been buying me these tickets for the last every Christmas for the last. So he gave his money back. So, well, <laughs> not fully, because I think I worked it out that he spent about seven hundred and fifty quid on lotto tickets on me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, if I was to add it all up, so he got two hundred and fifty of it back. But you know, I was like thinking that's that's why I just do straight away, just get rid of it straight away, so that there is no can I have, can I have, mm. instead of. But I suppose if you're given a charity, I think the Euro Millions, they give a lot of it to charity anyway. Yeah. But say, okay, say hypothetically you won. Okay. All right. And now you have to spend a proportion on yourself. Like you have to, you have to invest in yourself. I, 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 I wouldn't invest in myself. I find it no, but you have no choice. You I find to. it really hard or, to. Or, wait. Oh, I like I'd I build, building materials for the house. Like I'd want to build a shelter. Like that'd be really fun. Yeah. I find it hard to buy things myself. Like even at the weekend, I was to buy a new vest. And I had to weigh about it and then I chickened out about it. And then I said, I'm going to come back to the afternoon and I didn't do it. And then I said, I was going to do it today and I still haven't done it. Like I find it so hard to buy yeah, things myself. Yeah, I'm quite similar. Mm. Harold gets really irritated on me because I look at like a billion reviews and then I panic and then I don't buy anything. Oh, I'm the same. Yeah. Well, I, I don't even look at the reviews. I just panic and nah, yeah. grab, There's too grab. many options. Yeah, yeah. The holes aren't that big in this yeah, no. <laughs> I've, been, I've been wanting to wear buy a, a jacket for the last, I think, five winters. And it's great because by the time you get to January, gosh, your winter's nearly over. So I've nearly done another show. <laughs> Grand, like, <laughs> so I'm going to pick up an old jacket at some point like and I now I wear two jackets and then when I really cold day I wear three <laughs> like three of them well, that's my strategy say layering up is the best anyway yeah but um okay say if like that, now that's being we're being materialistic there say the money that you spend on yourself doesn't have to be a material thing it can be something beyond that something like like a spaceship or something like you could buy no, a cave to go meditate I bought a cave an experience an adventure and you know something that like yeah I don't know I, I like, think I think I'm more, really I'm more old school that it's like 
you appreciate things more when you've earned them. And, and maybe, like, maybe that, that articulate, and that's why I like that. And it, like it happens to be Gandhi, a wise man with his old principles, you know, a, a beacon of wisdom. And he said that one of the blunders of modern life is earning money or having receiving money, which you didn't earn because you don't have the pre- appreciation for it. And you don't know the challenge that went in to earn this amount of money. And I do intrinsically believe that because... I don't know. I think oh, I'm, I'm naturally frugal and tight and I have great appreciation for money. Not that I want to hoard it, but I, I'm, I'm not flippant with it either. Oh, I completely agree that. You can see that across the board of like people who have just been given money versus those who've really earned it. Hmm. But in, in my hypothetical scenario, like you could put that money to, you know, if you wanted to do a great adventure... You know that's a challenging in itself. Maybe it maybe, maybe, maybe what I do, I, like I, I'd buy a shelter for the the cove where we swim it every day, so that there's there's cover for everyone when we swim. I'd buy <laughs> things like that. I'd invest I'd in things more or, or, or I'd, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be farming and I'd be growing more vegetables or help trying to help people or like I, I don't know. I'd be yeah. spending it for fun, like really rather than personal yeah. gain because we I have somewhere to live and I've we've got a we've got a farm. Like I've got work till the day I die. You know, so I'm kind yeah, of that. fortunate in that. One. So. Well, that's good. Okay. Well, let's make sure you're kind of boring the answer. Sorry, Sarah. No, it's it's answer in itself. But one thing I just want to mention on the farm case, I suppose now that awful storm caused. Yeah. So back this week we had um, hundred kilometer winds, and um, we've just literally started the farm. It's about six months old, maybe seven months old, nine months old, nine months old. There you are. I'm sure, don't let the truth get in the way of uh, nine months old. And um, two tunnels, unfortunately, got absolutely mangled. Like, yeah, kind of like destroyed, like destroyed. And like, so, it, and it was it was interesting. Dara said to me, "It's like, oh yeah, that, uh, that's okay. We'll get through it." And then when you go up and you see it, you're like, "I actually." felt like crying like and just like oh my god yeah. so so we're at the stage where we're either we're going to see what the insurance will or cover else, or else, or we else we'll see if we're people, out of cash so we'll yeah we have no it. cash so we'll see if people if there's lots of people who give us a fiver well if I win the millions again the euro millions I'll, I'll put it towards the farm then <laughs> okay deal great <laughs> Thanks, uh, you heard it ladies and <laughs> gentlemen <laughs> anyway this okay. week's guest okay so so thank you for listening to that um, uh, but this week's guest is a really really incredible gentleman I would say an absolute gentleman Damien Brown an ex-professional rugby player with a 15 year career where he won the Heineken Cup which is one of the most esteemed kind of rugby um, achievements achievements really and he He's been an explorer now the last six or seven years, which sounds like when I say explorer, you might go Indiana Jones or what kind of, what's Not an explorer? Not far from it, but an adventure he's, too. Yeah, he's, um, he really has, like he's had a couple of attempts at Mount Everest and really didn't quite get to them due to circumstances rather than his own personal um situation he's rowed he's had two rows across the Atlantic both solo rows um, across the Atlantic he's done the Salar the what is the marathon the the Sable which is the toughest road race the toughest race on planet earth which is a six day marathon six marathons 256 kilometers at 45 degrees heat where you carry your own anyway he's an incredible incredible man uh, 42 years uh, old and really we just discuss about the challenges of what's a a 3000 kilometer a 3000 mile row by yourself across the Atlantic we really kind of dug into the row and the mental capacity to deal with and the reality of on this little six metre boat for like 133 days and some, and some days you get blown backwards after 11 hours work but let's not give too much of the podcast yeah. away yes yeah, yeah. so anyway without further ado we give you the wonderful Damien Brown enjoy this it is a beautiful story of resilience and what we are all and capable of and what a gentleman of. So back about 12 years ago, we started doing courses 
and uh, it was really just trying to teach people how to cook. And consistently, people said, "Lads, could you come up with some course to help me to lose weight?" So we did. We to lose weight and gain health. Yeah, it really was because you can lose weight on amphetamines or you know cocaine if you want to. Yeah, or all sorts of things, but it's not necessarily healthy. So, so we came up with a course with a doctor, uh, Dr. Sue Keneally. She's a doctor that specialises in weight loss and a dietitian, and it's a four week course to hold your hand where there's no calorie counting, no portion control, and it really is about helping you to form the habits. It's starting on Monday, the 26th of January. How do I learn more and how do I sign up? Uh, learn more, go to the thehappypair.ie and you'll find there's a banner on the top there. We're doing it for 79 euros. So if you're interested, please do check it out. Uh, well, welcome the wonderful Damien Brown. It's a real pleasure to have you. It really is. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> it's, it's great to have like an Indiana Jones meets James Bond meets... I don't know what else. What what other analogy oh, I can put on to you? Something from the west of Ireland, right? Uh, something from the west of Ireland. I love <laughs> it. Has to be something in there. It's definitely in the mix, anyway. And although Damien looks small in that seat, he is a giant of a man, <laughs> a big hunk, as we would say. Yeah. When I was coming up in the car here, I was saying to Steve, I wonder what you think of your man, um, the guy who did the fourteen peaks. Oh, Nims. Nims. Yeah. yeah. What's your? Do you know, I, I struggled to, I was following him for um, quite a while and then it, I got a bit tired of the kind of, um, I don't know, the cliched kind of um, self-promotion. You know, yeah. I just found, I don't know, I, I, I really enjoy people who are uh, genuine and authentic. I kind of connect with that and when I don't feel that off somebody I kind of just you know step away you know we have a choice what we let into our lives right mm. what sort of um, uh, not to discredit like what the person what he's done is incredible like mm. but I, I just you know if you get that sense off somebody I, I'm just somebody who will kind of uh, um, move on you know, and, and cut it out of my life. So that's actually what happened there. Probably not the yeah. answer you were expecting. No, but no, no, it doesn't. Yeah. I'm just genuinely curious. But I was curious, yeah, from both angles, because obviously his physical pursuits, you would have a greater understanding of them yeah. than we would. You haven't climbed and prepped for climbing Everest and yeah. done all sorts of things. Did you climb Everest? Yeah. Well, well, no, I didn't thing. climb it, no. Um, no I attempted it um, summer of 21 and it was the oh, summer cues, of wasn't it? Delta variant and there was queues and... It was uh, actually rubbed shoulders with him while he was there because he guides obviously on Everest and um, we were going through the Kumbu at one point and he was coming up the the icefall, you know. But um, COVID ended up shutting down my expedition. So I got COVID while I was there and uh, was evacuated back to Kathmandu and spent 10 days in a hotel room isolating wow. and then went back up to the mountain and struggled through about three weeks of just trying to, you know, the remnants of the illness and also um, reacclimatizing, and then I was just felt like I was regathering some kind of confidence and strength. Like I was like I could have a shot at this. Like you know, after getting COVID, pretty amazing. And then uh, the night, literally the night we were leaving to go on the start of our summit rotation, um, the head of the operator who was under um, called a meeting and saying, "Oh, listen, all our." Sherpa have just tested positive for COVID at Camp 2 and Camp 4. So we're taking them all off the mountain to retest them. And then That's every sad. one of them had COVID. So they shut down the expedition. So after <laughs> eight weeks on the mountain, I had to go home. Um, how, how do you, like, because 
you know, we all have little failures in our day. And I use that word failure lightly because failure is just a step. Mm. You know, it's just a step in the direction that we're going. Like, how do you deal with that? Because obviously there's, you put it out there. I'm going climbing Everest. Yeah. You, there's, there's massive huge... funding. There's massive family commitments. There's so much time. <laughs> there's like, there's so much energy goes into it. Mm. And, and like, I can't imagine what it's like to have to walk away and swallow that pill and face those cameras that you don't want to face. Yeah, I, I put so much into, uh, and, and as you mentioned as well, the sacrifice from family, but I'd put so much into it. Um, the training period in particular is so um, arduous and takes a lot of emotional energy. And then I got there and then to fight through, firstly, altitude sickness and then COVID and to kind of stay in the game. Um, by the time it got to the making the decision and the obvious decision that had to be made to close down the expedition, I just felt like I'd, I had no emotion left to give to it. Like I was almost numb. I was like, whatever I'm done at this stage, done. I just, just yeah. get me home now. Like, you know, I, and then subsequently, you know, I started to, de- like once I got back home eventually, like, so I had to firstly, um, all the airports were closed in Nepal, so they weren't letting anyone out. There was a couple of expatriation flights that I eventually got on through. When you, lo- you love this, right? So I had to go from Kathmandu to um, Brisbane, but I went uh, Kathmandu to Seoul, Seoul to LA, so across the Pacific. Oh my God. LA back to Brisbane. <laughs> across the Pacific again. So 52 hours of travel, it cost me about five grand and then I had to go into a hotel for two weeks because it was the time Australia were doing the two-week quarantine to let everyone in. So just, just in case just, you didn't have enough time to just, deal yeah, with all the... Just to get home, like, so I had to go through all that. Like, you could probably say that the two weeks in a hotel probably helped process it, but there was definitely um, oh, just great disappointment, you know, and almost, and a little bit of anger about the whole thing and you know I what I do find is when it's so two things when firstly when it's out of your control I can process that really well and quickly and secondly when um, I live my values you know when I uh, embody things that are important to me and live up to my standards if it all goes pear-shaped well that's fine you know as long as I action and live the way I um, at the kind of through the things that are important to me and to the level that I demand of myself, well, then I can, again, process these things pretty well. And I felt I did that on Everest. Like I fought and fought and fought to um, stay in the game through sickness and through big emotional challenge as well. You know, I um, speaking of sacrifice, uh, I left uh, Brisbane to go to Everest five days after my daughter was born. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah. Because I mean, there's I mean that might sound incredibly selfish, and to a level it is, but there was also immense um, pressure um, financially to go and and take on the climb. You know, firstly from sponsors, and secondly from my own behalf. You know, through COVID and all that, things had not gone well for me. So I saw this as an opportunity to make something happen. You know, and then, so yeah, and my <laughs> my daughter was meant to be born um, March twenty first. And I was meant to go to Everest on the 3rd of April to fly. And she arrived on the 4th of April. She was like 12 days late. So wow. you can imagine now. And we, you know, we said we'd make the call, me and my partner, Rizal, after she came, you know, and everything hopefully had gone well with the, the birth. And, and, you know, thankfully it did. But, you know, I was kind of going, I might, like, I didn't even know up until the, like maybe three days before that I was actually going to go to Everest, you know. So it was, it was incredibly complicated. And, um, 
almost un- I felt a bit unfair that I was in between this rock and a hard place in a little bit. Uh, and then having to ask that sacrifice of them was was um, a lot to ask, you know. Uh, so then coming back unsuccessful. Um, you felt yeah. beaten. Yeah. Beaten and then you had yeah. to kind of... And do you, do you like... Um, like obviously the process, you know, we live in a world nowadays where it's very much about the product rather than the process. It's about the end result rather than the journey to get there. And one thing I massively admire in you, I, I feel like you've got old values, like old school values, gentlemanly values, Marcus Aurelius type values. I'm, I'm using words here to describe something, but that it's about the process. And if you show up and do the process, well, the end result is out of your control. And I just wonder, um, like when you came back in that time and, and like a lot of people that would break someone, you know, when you're coming back and you've put all the financial all the energy and there's so much hardship like do you feel is that kind of you know you can fall into that victim mentality that Mm. poor me oh my god and how do you turn that around and how did you turn that around and kind of catapult you into this one man rowing expedition across the Atlantic well even even then though I knew that was coming you know I'd been already working on that in the background um, up in Everest on the row machine like well <laughs> <laughs> trying a concept too behind me climbing through the the ice fall but uh, uh you know these things take a long time to make happen so um even though Everest was like front and center in the visor I knew once I came back from Everest it was kind of the the last year of pushing into the row so that that helps kind of um redirect yourself you know you don't have, have a sense of purpose almost yeah to, exactly to focus yeah on. yeah because you don't have a lot of time like that might sound like a lot of time so that was what july and we were so it was like 11 months but in terms of training your body for something and, and preparing yourself physically and mentally for rowing an ocean that's actually not that much time you know so you got to kind of get about it and get to work pretty soon because uh that'll fast approach and uh if there's <clears throat> there's many things you can change during an expedition you know you can fix like if for example if something breaks you can fix it or um you can get on the phone to somebody who has the knowledge how to fix it and basically as um Denzel Washington says in Philadelphia talk to me like I'm a five-year-old here like tell me how to do this but there's one thing you can't prepare and fix uh it's your body and your mind while you're out there so you got to put in the time well before that to have it to a level and have it to capacities that you know are going to serve you and succeeding and what you want to succeed in so after Everest okay there was a a kind of bit of convalescing and a little bit of rebooting emotionally but it wasn't as long as you know you'd probably want it to be because I had to get to work and get training for the North Atlantic How do you balance it like not male and female but masculine and feminine energy so like a lot of exploring and like say you played rugby you know professional rugby for many years it was like 10 or 12 or was about uh, yeah 15, 16 15, seasons, 16 years yeah. so like serious high professional very masculine environment yeah, for dominating sure. the team and trying to score tries and then you go over to kind of like taking on you know serious feats of physical endurance mental aptitude like massive tolerance which they're quite masculine in their pursuit how do you balance that out to express a feminine side in you or do you or is it just this is just the archetype or the way you experience life yeah like there's no conscious deliberation around that I think if I was to reflect like and that does come out in me and where does it come out like I I feel deeply you know and I'm very I, I'd like to think I'm quite emotionally connected with those feelings you know I've always had a an, an internal outlook if that makes sense so I've always been kind of 
had a um, an attention on what's happening inside. So, and that's true physical pursuits, right? So connecting, making that mind-muscle connection. But I suppose how that's evolved is into the more emotional side of it and connecting with what I'm feeling emotionally and um, recognizing that and trying to, um, endeavoring at least to the best of my ability to express that. So that that is where that comes out. Is it like, when you write, like when I, when I read your writing on various different Instagram posts, like you're very articulate and you're, you get into the detail. It's not like, it was a tough day today, yeah. full stop. It's like, there's like a thousand characters are there and there's yeah. a story and it's, it's I'm deep interested in that internal story, you know, and, and like trying to, um, you know, like it's a great way. It's how we humans can connect through emotion, you know, so you can bring somebody into the, the, um, in what you are going through in that moment so they might nearly kind of live the journey a little bit with you you know and i think i, I try my best to 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 describe everything i was going through and actually the the circumstances to to tell that story to the best of my ability i suppose well i think the one thing that uh like say particularly in your your atlantic crossing there's no room for filters like you're one man out there and you are on survival mode. Like, so you can't keep the Instagram filter of everything is awesome. Like it has to, you're, 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 you're at such, the, you're so far out the end of the plank that you can't but be unbelievably authentic and yeah. unbelievably real, which is what most of us are craving for. That's where most of us, I think, where the true connection in life comes mm. is when we're, when we're broken open, yeah. that then you can connect and go, I know that pain. I can yeah. feel that pain. I can empathize with you. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful gift to be, you know, like, and I, I think you're a great advocate of this, of, of pain, like hardship and whether it's even sought after hardship or life kind of gives you hardship through those periods of growth, there's incredible, through this period, those challenging periods, there's incredible growth and there's incredible capacity for connection with others mm. through them. The, the discomfort and the hardship like just strips away all those layers of protection that we have to have, you know, to kind of survive in life. We unfortunately can't, we don't live in a, a world where we can um, kind of be vulnerable and exposed all the time, right? So over the course of our lives, we build up layers and layers and layers to help us protect our kind of inner child. And uh, what something like that does is it just strips it all away. And for want of a better expression, you don't give a fuck, do you know? And you just, you let it all out, like, because you're faced with this, like, beautiful reality nearly, you know, that kind of, helps you kind of expose yourself that little bit more and, and shows you the um uh shows you the 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 beauty of living that way and and um and then once you've kind of done that once you've kind of taken that step to you know expose yourself um you feel, at least I have, and anyway, this is what I've experienced, is you, you get uh, this beautiful rush of um, positive feeling that is almost like, geez, I want more of that. You know, that's, that feels right, for want of a better expression. Kind of the honesty, you're in flow, or you're yeah, very, yeah. Yeah, connected. it's just this like space where it's like, 
yeah, you're so connected with your kind of authentic self and so far from being kind of um, corrupted by, um, I don't want to say by life, but by um, the... The tinsel the of pursuit. life. Yeah. Tin, the sweet shop of life. Yeah. Because there is a lot to allure us and attract us away from our values or our, you know, our our foundation, if you will. Mm. You know, there's a lot of... I remember growing up hearing of a girl who was, maybe she was like early college. She went and she sailed around the world on a solo sailing boat. And I'm always really admired it and part of me craved it, that sense of an adventure and you're on your own and you have to sit with your demons and you have to find the capacity to go when you just, you're empty. And that's the bit that really fascinates me with the, in particular, your most recent rowing across the North Atlantic, like it was from New York to Galway, wasn't mm. it? Which is like phenomenal. Like, how do you deal with those moments when you're absolutely like you are empty you want to give up and you almost surrender to the death of life you're like like how do you because i know myself on various trips there were times when i'm sleeping up rough and and there's a storm and you're on your own and you kind of you reach a point where it's like listen if i die i die like you know you kind of reach that point and i imagine on, a, on an ocean court cross like that it's even way more compounded mm. well I, like countless moments of despair um i just got like incredibly unlucky with the conditions and so the the distance from new york to Galway is about 2650 2700 nautical miles and i ended up rowing 3450 because uh i went <laughs> i went backwards about between four and five hundred nautical miles over the course of the whole thing and that's just you get flipped around you don't look at the compass and you're well it's just yeah or count that is adverse currents so currents going to back the opposite way and you just don't have the power to row against them or if you do you know, it'll bring you north, you know, you can't get any sort of headway, you can't get any progress against it, and then headwinds. So, um... What do you, is there someone you can call and go, listen, go, like, you know the way, like, life, we're so used to having, I'll take out my phone, I'll check Google Maps, I'll, like, you can't do that, like, where do you turn to? Is it just like... I mean, there's beauty in not having any choice, like, course, because, yeah. right, you know, it strips away all that, um... Fluff. Uh, fluff, yeah, and, and then, you know... Um, or the illusion of control. It loses yeah. that, where suddenly it's like, okay. And you're... And it's total self-reliance, like, you know, um, and that's, uh, knowing that, um, uh, that is within your capacities, you know, um, is, is really like, and of course that comes back to the training like that, you know, you're ready, you have to be ready for moments like that, you know, where there's, nobody's coming to help you, like, you know, so you got to be able to deal with it. And, uh, so physically I'd like to think that no matter what happens, I have the capacities here to deal with whatever comes at me, you know, and I have, have to, I clearly have to be trained to a high level and mentally as well, you know, so in those moments of despair, self-awareness is your number one human attribute that you can use because you have to be aware of that internal narrative. Like right? I'm angry, I'm upset, yeah, I'm, I'm like a lunatic right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm just very destructive or maybe you're telling yourself some story and then, you know, that can be going on. Like there's always conversation going on in our heads and, and most of the time we're unaware of it, you know. So it's just, you know, having the, the that 
capacity to recognize that because if you're not aware you can't change it and then how do you change your state then well what i found is that um using the powers of concentration so concentrating on something that's within your control in, in a physical prism or physical endeavor at least um you're able to kind of redirect your mind to a much more neutral place so you're able to get away from that negative whatever overwhelming stressed anxious in this case moments of despair um because and then you know get to a, a place of control firstly and neutrality like if i if, imagine i'm just constantly thinking about galway galway and how long how far and this is not far from <laughs> the case like you are often your mind just is kind of wired to think about the outcome right um but that doesn't serve me in any way like i i i have no control over the outcome i just have control of this present moment and what i'm doing right now and the actions that can get me there yeah i have control of that so if i concentrate on those um it uh, it just helps my mental state by kind of neutralizing it so that's the process i often went through just to control my mind um there was one particular phase um so milestones are a big thing out there you know and i got to kind of one of my last big milestones 500 nautical, nautical miles to go to galway um and by the time i got to 400 nautical miles to go to Galway, it was 13 days later um that should and like take, how long does it take like how, how many miles can you row a day like you, a that should mile? take about two and a half days on normal conditions not even good conditions that should take 100 miles should take so 40 miles a day roughly so two and a half days it took me 13 days that's rowing 11 hours a day every day one day minus <laughs> seven miles another day two miles for 11 hours work another <laughs> another day four miles another day seven miles so like that mo that like I honestly felt I was in rowing purgatory and I was damned for the rest of my life to be in that part of the ocean. Like I just couldn't get any progress and and the way I Is dealt that you're with just, you're into the wind, you're yeah, you're uphill the whole way. Winds, headwinds, headwinds, uh, and a little bit of current as well. And I just can't, you know. Yeah, basically the steepest hill you can imagine, just kind of trying to run up that constantly. And I was I was just treading, you know, I was just getting nowhere. So yeah. So dealing with that was just all about you know controlling the moment so what's within my control in this very moment and then concentrating on that so i just four things as far as i can make out at least in in terms of physical endeavor that's always within your control so your body position and technique of what you're doing so bringing your attention to that maybe a specific part of the chain within you know part of the body part making that mind muscle connection it just kind of you know makes well firstly brings you to the present moment and neutralizes your state so you can continue to perform without the effects of the negative overwhelming emotion right or mental state um your breath your effort all of those um when concentrated on a specific action uh, um, or a specific part of the action you know a specific part of your respiratory um uh, workings or you know a specific body part and and linking in and connecting with how much um force you're generating through that you know so your effort um they all what they do is they take you out of that negative mental state into a neutralized kind of gives you something so it's really like just it's the ultimate back to the presence like going, yeah. well i've got this meditation in I, essence. but but it's the ultimate meditation because in a sense you've got nothing but monotony you've got three months out there by yourself with probably just waves and wind and different degrees of mist and vision what but would you eat what would you eat uh all dehydrated 
Russians. So um, the joy, the yeah. excitement. When you're and I lost my um, the ability to boil water on day twenty four, so I had to. That was all eaten uh, cold how for do you, how eighty-eight you boil, days. Like, how big is a boat? Sorry, to be it's about to six meters, six point two meters. So, so it's a bit the size of this room. Yeah, not much longer than this. And then, and do you have a little cabin that you can? One big cabin, yeah, where all your electrics are and your bed, and you know that's your kind of refuge. And does the, water get in there? Like, does your bed get wet? Well, it, it gets wet. Capsized. Yeah, when you capsize, but also um, there's no airflow through there. So um, over time. Um, it get a lot of condensation. So between dragging in water, which you just can't help some water getting in um, and then condensation, by the end, it's a pretty wet space and you have to just sleep in the wet, basically sleep wet sleeping bag or... Um, Jeez, you're really selling it. And it's, and it's, cold. Oh, it's, and yeah, it's, it's cold, lovely. like it's not like... Later, same. later, yeah. So the the last kind of when I was getting north towards Ireland, and it was kind of end of September, October time, it was quite cold uh, and wet in there. And... Uh, Early in the piece, leaving New York, it was summer, like so long it took, but um, it was roasting that first kind of six weeks, you know. Um, For six so weeks. In the, so in, in those days in the cabin, when you have to have the two hatches shut for um, obviously protection for the electrics from the waves and all that. So you can't let any water in. So when you go to sleep in the cabin in those days, it's like 40 degrees. Like, so it's like this oh. little pod, this sauna, you know, that just all Talk the, about the extremes, yeah. this damp, wet, freezing. <laughs> yeah, and by and the it, end then it's... And yeah. is water, for fresh water, is there some kind of like... Salinator, desalinator, what do you mean? Desalinator, yeah. Is that what yeah. you use? Yeah, desalinator, yeah. That's where you get your water, you just desalinate. Yeah, that's the most important piece of equipment on the boat, as you can imagine, right? So um, we had a, a unit that gave about six litres um, in, so a litre and a half every 15 minutes, so six litres in an hour. And you put that on. Normally, you try and put it on when the sun is most on the solar panels on the boat and um, to keep a less stress off the systems. There's a big draw on power when you're desalinating the, the water. Um, the issue on this route in particular is there's not that much sun because it's a lot of cloud cover. And obviously later, September, October, North Atlantic, much more. So by the time I got to Galway, actually, I was down to 20% battery power. Um, and that's a huge threat, right? Because once those batteries get below 50%, they can actually just discharge out of nowhere. Like they can just, you know, and if you don't have any power, you can't make water, you can't navigate really, you know, not particularly efficiently anyway. Um, it means kind of game over. Like so. Your ability um, to communicate is gone. Ability to communicate is gone. Yeah. So you got it. Like there is some battery powered stuff, but, you know, obviously you can't charge those batteries either after some time. So uh, that's a, you know, power management is a huge part of the whole thing, you know, uh, making sure that you're only using the water maker, particularly when um, it's, it's the sun is out and at its highest and the most um, hitting the most. And you'd, you'd sleep four hours, row four hours, sleep four. Was that the cycle or what was your, what was your kind of, your, did you have a cycle or was it just you got up and you rode and then you went to bed, got I up, rode, closed it? I kind of had a cycle. So when Gussie was on the boat, it was two hours on, two hours off. And then uh, when he left, you know, it's, it's a bit of a luxury. So, so even just to clarify this, because people yeah. wouldn't know, you start, you didn't start it as a solo mission. You started it with a friend, Gus Fergus, yeah. who was, and you were both going to do it together. And then day 13, he had, you know, Gus has a backstory that's kind of relevant as well. Yeah, he has an amazing pretty uh, backstory. So yeah, he he was medically evacuated on uh, day 13. And the reason why we have to go way back, like maybe four years now when he had a workplace accident and he was paralyzed. 
a given 5% chance to ever recover any, any sensation below his belly button. So, um, and they said to him in the matter, the spinal unit in the matter where he had his emergency surgery, that, you know, for that very slim prognosis of ever recovering 5% sensation below your belly button, if for that to happen, you probably have to start to feel something within 72 hours. And six weeks later, he was in um, uh, a ward in University Hospital Galway um, and he still hadn't felt anything. So, you know, he can, no, speaking of despair, can you imagine what he went through in that time? But believe it or not, he said he was one night very late. He was just looking at his big toe, trying to wiggle it. And he felt something and he called the nurse and he said, is my toe moving? And she said, I think so, yeah. And the next day, the... Um, the surgeon or whoever was doing the rounds in, in University Hospital Galway came in and he showed him the big toe moving and he said, that's most unexpected. And he went the on euphoria. this. Imagine he went on this massive journey. Then. And it sounds like the, like the smallest thing, but yet for him, it's the biggest. Yeah. Movement he'll ever have in his yeah. life. Like, yeah. Into the uh, National Rehab Hospital here in uh, Dunleary and uh, on, on the flat of his back and walked out 16 weeks later. Uh, now very sh shaky, as you can imagine, but he that was his goal to walk out. Um, and then a year after that, or a year after his accident, he walked across the country from where it happened in Athenry, uh, all the way to Dunleary, to the, back to the National Rehab, Rehab Hospital to raise money for them. So, you know, an incredible journey in itself. And... Um, it was during that walk, actually, I, you know, we've been friends for since we were like 17, but um, my brother was meant to do this with me originally and he'd pulled out at that stage. So there was like a question in my mind, who am I going to do this with? And I saw his not only through that journey to get to there, but also walking across the country, actually, it was I did a few days with him and it was it was pretty demanding, you know, and there's a guy who couldn't walk. Um, I mean, was you know, a year before that was looked like he'd never walk again. And here he was walking across. So I just saw things in him that I thought, you know, that he could be the guy. So I asked him and he took up the space. Um, and we went, you know, we worked very hard on the project for a couple of years. But uh, yeah, that it was, you know, that day 13 was just an accumulation of firstly that journey and the uh, compromises he's had on his health you know, um, and the demands of an ocean row. And it was just too much for him. And he, um, his O2 sats, he was measuring them. So he was exhausted. Like the first week he had a serious level of exhaustion, but, you know, I was putting that down to just, a, it's a very um, strange experience for your body to be habituated to living on solid ground and you know um, a place where humans are meant to live and then going into this environment where they're not meant to live on a little boat you know and he was getting very little rest because uh the heat in the cabin you know so you know <laughs> even though he's exhausted um he's crawling into this cabin that's like 40 degrees right and um there's no airflow so it's very hard to breathe in there as well after a while once you get through the amount of air that's in there it gets real shallow so you get real chesty and it, it was creating panic you know like for him yeah. and he'd have to come out and get so he was stressing about that and obviously he's getting, he's also rowing 12 hours a day as well and uh, it just caught up with him and uh, he measured his O2 sats because um, the day after he had his surgery in the spinal unit in the matter private um 
he got rushed into ICU when his O2 saturation levels dropped below 90. And apparently that's an indicator for blood clotting. So um, he just made this association back to that moment. And we had a number of little um, units on board that we could, you know, manage our health with. And that was one of them. And he just grabbed that out of the, the medical bag and tested it. And it was at 86. So I was like, oh, and then he told me the story about the um, the blood clotting and getting getting in, getting put in ICU post surgery. And once he said that to me, I was like, it's game over here for you. I didn't say it out loud. I just knew. And like, in your head, you're like, right, you ready to take this on your own? Yeah, yeah. While also like trying to process like for him, you know, and the disappointment for him. And, and then we, you know, how do we get you off this boat? Like we need to get you off this boat immediately and get you on supplemental oxygen and make sure you're safe, right? Because you know, we didn't know what could happen. Thankfully, nothing did happen. But um, yeah, so there was a whole kind of... Um, emergency evacuation procedure which accumulated in this big 256 meter Singaporean cargo ship uh, and us rowing up to it. It coming, it been um, directed by the US Coast Guard to come, to come and aid in uh, getting Gussie off the boat and us rowing up to this thing. Thankfully it was calm day. Uh, so it, I mean, it's still incredibly tense. Like you're in this tiny little six meter ocean rowing boat and this massive tanker and then them dropping a kind of gangplank and us trying to get Gussie on. And eventually we got him on and like, we were, I felt like a sitting duck underneath that thing. You know, it, it's, even though it was calm, it was still bobbing up and down and they're dropping this gangplank. And at one point we kind of drifted under it and came up underneath it and it cracked one of these poles that we had for storing oars, you know, so, and that was a calm day. I can't imagine doing that on a day outside of that, but we eventually got him off and he was evacuated and then I had to and, and that, face the, into... So you've got all this, you've got all this huff and puff and all this, you're, you're, you know, you're focused on Gus and how to get him off and then everything happens and then it's just Damien yeah. by himself on a boat with about two and a half thousand yeah, miles exactly and that. three months a row in ahead of you. Yeah, well, I, I mean, at that point, I, I wasn't sure, like, my where my mind shot to in terms of time frame, I was thinking we were hoping as a pair to go for the world record, which was 55 days. We weren't that far off it at that point. We were a little bit behind it, but you never know what could have happened after that. Um, so when he was gone, I was thinking, oh, this is proud. Like, I mean, it was an incredibly daunting prospect to uh, think about what was coming because Did you even think to kind of throw in the towel for no, a solo one? No. No, never. Like it was very important to me, you know. Um I I this project was what I would deem a legacy project for me. Like, you know, I could the the imagery around that and the imagery from the kind of start, the the genesis of the project was always about rowing into Galway and the impact that could have on people. You know, I think there's something very like words are great, of course, and we can communicate very power powerfully through words, but there's something different about actions in terms of you know when we see somebody you know aspiring to do well, something in, very to difficult go away from New York. yeah and I just that imagery you know even like I imagined it nearly through the eyes of children you know and what they would think you know to witness that so like it, it over time you know it grew and grew and grew the importance of it inside me so like when it came to moments like that, I didn't even think about it. It was just very much a case of let's crack on here. There we go. Yeah. And even back to that, that you're like your legacy, you know, leaving your legacy and you've got thinking of young people's eyes and you're kind of going, well, where did the idea come from? Like, where the hell did the seed come from 
to row from New York to Galway? Like, where where does... It came from two different (laughs) people, nearly, if you want. So um, this was my second Atlantic crossing. So I went the other direction um, from uh, Lagomera to... um, Antigua in 2000. So that's the kind of glamorous one, or the it's nice, the, the nice, like yeah, kind of. It's a bit, that, that's the business class <laughs> version. Yeah. You're going through the nice yeah. warm waters. It's that's right. Or is it at least in no, my head? Well, I mean, it's it's obviously it's an ocean road, so it's challenging. Um, but at the same time, if you're going to do an ocean road, that's the best place to start. Yeah, and um, they've got the trade wind sea, so they've got this kind of this uh, consistent sweep of wind across that uh, just above the equator all the time. So it's how Columbus would have got across, and all so sailors. It it's like an, es- so, an escalator. But I wouldn't quite say close. No, no, like you have you have a little bit of help. Like so, you know, if you go that route. Um, when you fall asleep at night, say as I did as a solo, it's a good chance I'll make a bit of ground. Like I might make seven or eight miles on the North Atlantic. Uh, it's not the case. <laughs> do you lose? Like how, how do you? Like what happens? Like the simple things like that. Do you like the you parachute, 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 parachute anchor? Parachute anchor. If the winds are significantly against you, um, but normally you just leave because it that's it takes a lot of time to put that out and pull that in. So most of the time you just let the boat is at the mercy of the elements. So there's a um, it came to me. Like you um, put an anchor down or no? No, no. Because no. you can't get near the bottom. No, or near it. Yeah, no. So you need like just, three miles of You just line. stop and leave it there. Yeah, you just stop rowing and then, you know, you kind of hope and pray that the boat will be taken forward. And the odd time it would, but mostly you go backwards. Or <laughs> you might go north. You'll go some way, but you won't really go towards Galway. It I didn't really have any luck. It is like, just like the most arduous test yeah. like hearing you speak about it it's just like ah, it's in- incredibly demoralizing at times um the going backwards thing but you you, you become a l- now to a certain extent you become a little bit desensitized to it because it happens so much and you, you build up a level of acceptance as well you're like you know and whatever day 80 i'm going backwards tonight you know and you know, there's not much i can do and the next day i'll get up and i'll put in the effort again but you know it, it really really breaks you down over time like it's that's something you can deal with for two or three days grand but 60 days of it like just, what keeps you going is it that imagery or like what, yeah. like, what is it like well, it, that's that, a that's powerful thing you know the imagery yeah it re- i can definitely leverage and did definitely leverage that while i was out there so i had this thing about the bonfires of aaron it just came to me one day I was thinking about it, you know, and I remembered like, uh, is it um, Lord of the Rings? You know, where they light the bonfires on top of the mountains to signal something's happening. And I, I of course, it's a big thing in the country as well. If there's a, uh, a gay, um, GA team wins something, they all light bonfires. So it just came to me. I thought, like, wouldn't it be cool if the people of Aaron started lighting bonfires? And then that imagery grew. And then I heard back that they were going to. This, this was a thing so that was a real uh, driver to me and that the other imagery and I talked they, about did they like the they did yeah thing. yeah. there's a great photo of um, of me kind of coming into the Iron Islands and, and one of the bonfires lit in the background and me kind of saluting them you know so um, pretty yeah. cool so that was a big driver that imagery you know and, and to uh, and just because it I really mean, is like trying to, to trying to find a thread of hope that will keep you going at a time of absolute despair and a thread mm. of hope that you're not gonna let go of. Yeah, because it's at those moments of despair that you you just just. But there, but there is also that element of like you know when you put it out there and you tell enough people. There's social accountability. Th- well, there's more than social accountability. There's like there's there's so much support and there's so much 
that it's harder to qu- no I'm not saying it's hard like it's it's a, the decision is made that you're going to see this true like nearly it's nearly easy that there's no there's no possibility that you're not going to it's just a matter of how long and and gritting through the pain I didn't I'd yeah, Im- I think I'd it imagine plays a part. A, a, a part like it does that. play a part, yeah. I think the, the biggest piece of that puzzle, and it is a bit of a puzzle, is um, oh, what's it mean? What's it mean to you? Like, you know, why why are you doing it, you know? Uh, and for me, it, it touched a lot of things. So personally, I knew I was going to get a lot, a lot from the experience going into those like really difficult places. I'm going to grow. I'm going to have paradigm shifts out there. I'm going to have um, changes in perspective, right? Um, so I know I'm going to get a lot from it, you know, by through that genuine challenge. I'm a big believer in like um, the powers of somebody who's trying to lift themselves up and trying to realize their potential, you know, and how that affects those people around them, you know, closest to them. So at least through that belief, be it right or wrong, um, the people closest to me are going to get something from this, you know. So my, there's a great analogy, actually, I like to use around that. So imagine putting a tissue on a tabletop and you're in the middle, that person who is striving for more from themselves and trying to get more out of their life uh, and working towards something important to them. And then on the four corners, say you have your partner and then your kids on the other corner and your friends on the other corner and your parents or um, colleagues, you know, anyway, people are very important to you on all four corners. And that person to, to kind of mimic that uh, mindset and those actions to get more from themselves. So you imagine pinching the middle of the tissue and that person's lifting themselves up. So you lift up the corners, uh, sorry, you lift up the middle of the tissue. Well, the four corners come with it. They get raised up as well. I believe that like that's the effect you have on those people closest to you. Um, and then uh, on, a, on a broader scale then, uh, I felt that the, the project itself could make a small little bit of difference in somebody's life by inducing a little bit of energy for them, like showing them a picture and an action of somebody who's trying to get up more from themselves and from life and hopefully inducing a little bit of energy for that person to demand a little bit more from themselves, aim a little bit higher and hold themselves to higher standards and push on. So it was on those three levels, you know, I felt it was going to give something to myself, to those closest to me and then to anyone watching on. And and, and I think when you hit those three things with something you're doing, it's very purposeful and meaningful. And then it gets you through those really, really tough times. Mm-hmm. Like what are the learnings that you like? Like is, for me, when I think about a trip like that, it's, it's like a quest. It's like, you know, to use the metaphor as a, the Christian metaphor, Jesus going to the desert for 40 days, 40 nights and not eating. And even there was talk of that Pythagoras, remember Pythagoras' theorem yeah. that we used to have to learn in school, but that apparently he had a an education centre, a university, I think it was in Egypt or somewhere in the Middle East. Um, and to go there, you had to, wasn't information or wasn't enough. You had to experience knowledge. And the only way you experienced knowledge was 40 days, 40 nights fasting, mm. because only then you had to sit with yourself. And, you know, there was a lot of internal work that had to be faced, demons inside yourself you had to slay. Yeah. And I wonder for you on that journey like that, like what are the learnings that you take home inside yourself that almost are hard to articulate? And I know it's kind of ironic I'm asking you to articulate. <laughs> yeah. but you know, those one of the things that you learned that you can't articulate about. <laughs> Okay, okay, well, <laughs> listen, I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, so if I, sp- if I think about perspective, like, so 
you can get really dragged down by all these like um, the small little elements of whatever you're doing, right? You know, and kind of get pulled into the negative emotions that come up like the frustrations and the agitations and the overwhelm. Um, one thing that I was able to kind of do on this expedition better than any other time was to kind of see a broader picture in those times like so be able to redirect my mind and ask myself some questions around that like so you had three questions written in the boat yeah yeah yeah. so that was more around like my actions and how to kind of control the present moment but this was more around like I was just well you know it's very easy feel sorry for myself and be a victim and like um that lazy side of us all, you know, the, to come out and um, and play a leading role and to kind of get past that. I was like, well, hang on here. Like, so what, what have you got on the boat? Like, what have you got? So I, I'm actually safe. Like, you know, even though it's only a little six meter ocean rowing boat, I can crawl into that cabin and feel and be safe. No matter what comes, even if a hurricane comes, that'll hold you tight. I have food, I have water, I'm loved, you know, I have support at home. So I was, I was able to kind of, I I was that, what I learned was that, um, I was able to access much healthier and, um, uh, perspectives to kind of get out of that quagmire of the lazy side of the human, you know, the entitled, um, Poor me. Uh, what's that? Poor me. Poor me. Woe is me. Isn't life terrible? Isn't this so tough? Oh my God, I can't get any luck. Uh, so that that was one thing. Um, I was And, and a, a level of gratitude for the hardship, like, and what that was giving me, you know. Um, I wanted to be there. Like, I put myself in that position. So firstly, you can shut the fuck up complaining about it, right? <laughs> um, and uh, and what that was going to give me, you know, like these, like I told, like I talked about these shifts in perspective or at least a, um, a faster access to better perspective. Um, yeah, so that was, that was another thing that popped up. Like, so I, I'm actually grateful for this because it's going to give me like these shifts in my paradigms, um, that when I get back to everyday life, like, which, which is, if you imagine, uh, your life as a kind of almost like a pie chart, right? So, and say you spend 3% of it on an expedition. Well, the other 97%, whatever that's made up of, that benefits massively from the hardship of that little 3% of your life that you spend uh, exposing yourself to difficulty, uh, purposeful difficulty. But um, yeah, so uh, so that, that made me like kind of look on it a little bit differently. Um, those moments of difficulty and despair. Uh, and there was one other thing that came up while you were asking that question. Well, even while you're thinking about it like that, like nowadays we live, certainly in the Western world, the first world, we live lives of the most comfortable of any civilization of humans that have ever lived on the planet. And yet most there's... Most likely. Most likely, yeah. Yet there's, <laughs> yeah. Probably, there's probably greater degrees of depression and mental health and dissatisfaction and victim mentality and all these types. Like they're more prevalent probably than previous generations where they certainly haven't had it as well in terms of materials. Mm. And like... I'm I'm thinking more about challenges and obstacles and nowadays like you've got a, a kind of 
it's it's a manufactured obstacle, but mm. the big like just such a massive obstacle of testing your hardship. And I just wondered about even to open up the conversation about hardship and the importance of adversity, adversity, and because it 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 kind of it shows the depths within ourselves because most of us are looking, you know, we're looking on social media and Instagram and we're looking at these lives that people, everyone's putting out their, the top 2% of their lives, which Mm. is, you know, they're, they won, they won this and they got this and they had a great day and they traveled here and they did this. And we're kind of comparing it like subconsciously. It's not, it's not, you know, underneath that we're comparing ourselves to these type of things, same on TV, same on everything. And we're all like, where do I get meaning and where do we get purpose? And like part of my own experience with life is through the real challenges and the real hardships is where you realize there's more meaning because it's, it kind of, it almost cracks you open to a deeper version of yourself. Mm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about obstacles and challenges and the importance of them and the lessons that come from them. We're not going to find much in comfort, Mm. you know, um, and it's this strange dichotomy because, I think um, as a species, we are um, compelled on some level to, uh, well, comfort means survival, right? But we don't actually, uh, on, on the kind of, in the opposite way, in the path of a more difficulty or um, struggle and hardship and toil, um, that's where the richness in life lies. Anyway, from my experience, so in one way we're compelled, right? We're all moving like, how do we make something better, faster, quicker? How do we, you know, everything's around solving these problems in terms of our kind of mentality on a, on a kind of global scale. But um, we, there's, there's, it's not helping us in any way find more substance in life, more um, fulfillment, um, more contentment and, you know, if you get all those things, you're going to be a pretty happy individual. So um, I, I don't know how I, um, there, was, there was no moment of conscious uh, thought for me around that. Um, I just felt that, you know, I, I was able to, on some level, communicate through my um, perception of my internal feelings and emotions that this was the right way for me to live, like by finding a way to self-impose hardship on myself. Um, And that might sound a bit... um, Stoic? Yeah, like... Masochistic. (laughs) Masochistic, yeah. But it's not that at all. Like, it's it's more... um, uh, having a uh, an association between the action and the rewards so um you know feeling that like so my journey started when i was 17 and i uh in in this kind of uh way of life at least and uh i didn't make my school's rugby team I was in fifth year in a, a school called the bish in Galway, and rugby was like everything for me at that point like i mean for the next basically 20 years after that it was like my be all and end all so that that like when I I didn't feel good about that like that made me feel disappointed in myself I knew there was more within me I was embarrassed like not playing I was like compared to everyone else I was ginormous like I should have been running the show and here I was I hadn't played a minute so I was it was embarrassing and almost shameful you know so I used those negative emotions to do something positive. So I, I took, I made a decision. Well, I'm not fit. Like I was just totally unfit. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to go and get fit. How do you do that? I don't know. I think you run laps. So I went up to Galwegians, which is just up from my parents' house. And um, one wet, dank 
dirty April night, pissing out the heavens. 11 o'clock at night, I was wearing about 20 layers and I started running and I only lasted two and a half laps. But I was back the next night and the next night and the next night and every night for 30 nights straight, I just trampled, collapsed into that pitch. And like the rewards of those actions and persevering through, like I, I was, I wanted to stop every step of every one of those nights, but I was able to push a little bit further, a little bit further. And I could see myself getting fitter and fitter every night. And by the last night I was running whatever, 20 plus laps. Um, so there was you know, there was rewards there, but internally there was so much rich rewards from firstly just taking that responsibility for something within my life that meant something to me, um, committing to that action of getting fit and then work. I think that's something that gets overlooked a a lot is the, the power of work, like doing something that is important to you and putting in the time and then persevering through the obvious hurdles like are going to come when you're trying to do something for yourself like that. Like, you know, persevering through the, the, the difficulty of running laps at 17 when you're nearly 20 stone and totally unfit and every cell in your body is screaming at you to stop every step of the way, but you keep going as, you know, um, so that ingrained something in me and I was able to obviously build a very positive association between doing something hard and the rewards of that. Cause like, so two years after that, basically didn't play a game for my school's team. Two years later, I was a professional rugby player, you know? So there was obviously great external rewards and great internal rewards. So to not making the team to be a professional yeah. rugby player, what I should, yeah, <laughs> so, moving through the gears, yeah, and it was just you know getting fit, and obviously it, everything stemmed from just that one decision, and and then the actions that you know followed it, but uh, um, you know, so what I did was I I just inbuilt a really healthy relationship with you know doing something physically difficult and because mm. I had these massive rewards that came from it internally and externally, and then it's just been a a quest from that point to go deeper and deeper into that because it doesn't give me anything bad you know in fact it far from it it builds me up um and uh um yeah and, it, and is, is there an ever an end to it you reckon you know the way like I, I guess we're all humans anyway in the nature of our life is we're going seeking where's my next dopamine hit where am i going to get my next little buzz of serotonin how can i reduce this cortisol like we're, we're little like it's almost like we're living for, for our hormones where 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 the hormones are the bosses and we're looking the, for pleasure and avoiding look, pain you know, that's that's the nature of the human existence but is there ever a point where you kind of go that's enough now or, or does it just then turn into more like sitting with yourself or meditating or finding a version of that with where there's the, the challenge like it, yeah I think um, like you can I can challenge myself and we all can challenge yourself with you know six minutes in the gym like you know so um, the the big huge epic you know adventures or expeditions like the North Atlantic Row are, are um, they're important but they're not like the be all and end all and I'm not like metaphors for kind of yeah or self-expression overcoming, right? overcoming yeah. adversity your own mental yeah prisons or limits almost yeah exactly and, and and constantly looking to expand myself you know so like i i'd like to uh, my uh take on doing something like that is that it's the challenge is not rowing the ocean the challenge is um how i row the ocean so putting myself in situations of extreme stress and difficulty and discomfort and hardship and then acting the way i want to act right living to the standards i set of myself under that duress uh, embodying the values that are important to me under that extreme duress so 
whenever I finish, if I can manage to finish the the, the expedition, um, I get an awful lot from the experience if I'm able to live up to those standards and those values under that uh, stress. And um, and it grows me as a person, literally expands my values and my um, my ability to access them. So, if, you know, something so everyday life is a little bit easier, like when you get back off a, an extreme expedition like that, because I mean, you know, you're not, you're not going to get too stressed about too much, like because what you've gone through, and you know, like there's a level of self control and self reliance that you have, and you know it's there in the most extreme moment that no whatever comes your way today, you know. That's yeah, when, grand. The, when, when the aliens come to take over, I'm going hiding yeah. under your wing. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got a bit upset at me when I said. Um, like, uh, not really upset, but it was more along the lines of I was trying to explain my take on this. And I was like, I'm pretty confident that if the world goes into cataclysmic meltdown, that I'll be one of the last people standing. What? You can't say that. And I was like, I, that's just my belief. Like, I've yeah, been yeah. in those places where yeah. I know I can rely on myself to get through it because I've practiced it, you know, so. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And I guess those practices have made you such a believer in the process, in the training, in the doing the work, in the discipline, in the daily hardships. Like, have you always been extraordinarily disciplined and being able to take that approach of today, what are the steps I can take today? What do I need to do today? These little steps, in, independent of your emotions and how you yeah. feel and poor me and victim and I don't and the yeah. look and I don't have any money and the dog ate my homework and, and independent of that. Have you always been that kind of, that just steely discipline or has this been some, a muscle that you've built yeah. consistently over time? Yeah, more uh, like a muscle and an evolution of that, those standards like, just you know true practice and true self-accountability and and pushing to the edges and then someplace you know breaking down or failing in something like I can't I can't articulate enough the positivity and failure like so not getting to you know maybe a metric in the gym that I'm trying to get to maybe on the er ergometer you know that's that's a place I push myself a lot because I, I compete on the indoor oars, you know, so, you know, um, pushing for something and then not getting there and then, hold, you know, analyzing that honestly and holding myself accountable and coming back and, you know, putting in place whatever I've learned to make sure I get there the next time, you know, or, or figuring out where I fell down or I, 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 you know, I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. So, yeah, I think just through that doing of that and, and that process, I've, you know, been able to um, level up, if you want, my certain values like discipline. But it, like, so if you think about, and of course, something like professional rugby, like where, you know, the pressure is okay. You have your own internal pressures that you put on yourself to achieve, but the external pressures are huge as well well you know yeah, from the yeah. environment so you learn pretty quickly in the in to survive just to survive in those environments like you gotta put in some um uh work in certain areas to um to uh yeah just to be able to survive so and you do that right so you learn through that experience so it's it's kind of a you know i'm a very different person and i was <clears throat> if you take my rugby career from when i started at 19 to when i finished at 35 like to like uh, an evolution of things like that, like things like discipline, you know, um, and that just comes through, like I said, 
the pressures of it showing all. Showing up. Yeah. And even, up, yeah. even you started Freesbury, which yeah. was something that a good friend of ours, Neil, did it and uh, Sean did it as well. Dr. Sean. A few, yeah, a few people, a few, a few in our group did it. And Claire? Yeah, Claire yeah. did it. Yeah, 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 there was a few and they were all so singing their praises and cursing you at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Freesbury, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like Damien started it where for the first, for, for the month of February, each day you were going to, stay in the cold Irish water for an incremental extra minute. So first, obviously, one minute and the 28th, 28 minutes. And, and, and the irony was when, when uh, our crowd were doing it, Neil and Claire and Sean were doing it, um, on the last day, the 28th, the 28th, I think it was the 28th, was it the 29th? It was, it was anyway, it was the, the last day. There was a whole group of visitors that had come. They were from the Philippines. They were from the Philippines or so something. From, that, that war, they were, from warmer they were from lands really warmer, And they thought this was normal. So oh, yeah. they, they got into the water and they thought, oh, everyone stays in for 20 minutes. And they stayed in for 20 minutes wow. and an ambulance had to be called yeah. because one of them got hypothermic. Yeah, yeah. 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 No. So that was, we'll never forget that because yeah, there was sure. all sorts of huff and puff on yeah. the beach. Yeah, that was a challenge just for myself, actually. Um, I was discussing it with a very good friend of mine, Johnny O'Connor, um, and uh, we were like, the discussion was, is it possible? Like, do you think it's possible to stay in the water? So I was like, I mean, I put it off for a while, but then I think it was, it's going into its fifth year now. So that was 2018, maybe. I said, I said, I'd try it. I was trying to, he didn't, he bottled it, but, uh, um, the two days before I was, I had committed to it. I threw it out in my social media and like 13 or 14 people said they were going to try it as well that year. And now it's pockets of it everywhere. Like it's far outgrown me, like, um, which is great to see people using out to raise a lot of money for charity. And, uh, I, I just, the benefits of the coal, I mean, where do you start the benefits of cold water immersion, particularly the ocean, I think above anything else is just something it's special. The epitome about of what we talked about consistently facing the obstacle and yeah. doing the uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, cause it, you, you flex that, you have to flex that muscle on a daily right. basis if you are a daily swimmer. Yeah, exactly. And there's some mornings you're not going to want to get in. Some mornings, most mornings. <laughs> Try 364 to 365. Oh, fair play. Well, I mean, you're, yeah, just in that in itself, Jesus, you're putting in some practice of, you know, facing into things well, and I, approaching stuff that's uncomfortable. Well, I think the easy thing, and that's why if there's no decision, if you just always get in, there's no decision. There's no, like you've immediately taken away mm. with the decision of, will I get in one? That's even worse. Yeah. If you just know you get in, it's not like it's, and it's a bit like if you don't have a plan B, like it's just, well, we just have to keep, keep yeah. going through these failures until here. we get to yeah. that A at the do end. Do you see a whale on your boat? On your boat? Yeah, do you see, do you see like, do you see, like, would you, like what sort of wildlife would you see? And would, and would it frighten you? So, because you're there on your own, like mostly little... dolphins. So I had about Post. literally fifty days straight of dolphin pods of dolphins coming by the boat on some level, like so that. I mean, to the extent I'm like, be I, chatting away to you, yeah, or just... yeah. Sometimes like, they're, they're all a bit. They all have their own personality. Mostly, it's a joyous personality. I'd like to think, but um, some days they just come and they're gone. Then again, you know, uh, curious, obviously creatures. Um, the whale sightings significantly more on this one than I did on the last ocean row. So there was um, mostly uh, the, the, the pilot whales and then there what was... What are they like? These huge... Like, no, they're smaller whales. They're not much bigger. Uh, they're like, if you imagine three dolphins kind of sellotape together, that'd be a pilot <laughs> whale. Um, but we had two big sperm whales one day. 
uh, like they're huge. What like, a name is sperm. I know, right? They just I, fired I didn't know. Sperm <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I had to ask somebody. Uh, they're, they're How big are they? Like, um, Jesus, they're huge. Like they must have been about twenty meters or so. They make your boat look tiny. Like yeah, no, they were a little bit away, thankfully. Um, but yeah, they would have. Um, and then there was a no, there was I mean there was plenty of days, but there was one um, one whale experience that I never forget because. You know, we saw whales quite a lot, but are we? I, I, it's me in the boat now. I talk about us as we, like, um, but, me and uh, Damien, me and Damien. <laughs> yeah, but uh, there was one day where I heard, like, I, I love, like, I, I'm, I mean, it's one of the joys of doing something like that is the experience with the wildlife. So I'm like, when I, when I have an, a, an opportunity, like, I'm on it like a shot. So I heard a whale, um, the noise of it breeding, you know, breaching and breeding to my right. Uh, it was probably about 30 meters away and I just I saw its head come up and then its dorsal fin and it, I kind of expected it to just finish there and then the back just kept coming and coming and coming and coming I was like holy look at the size of this like it was a proper you know what it, what you imagine a whale to be like it was just ginormous and it, I, I mean I can't I, I'm not even sure the con- kind of melange of emotions that brings up like it's like joy it's like gratitude it's like like excitement it's like you know it's just just incredible experience to and have fear. such a Does connection fear come up as a not really like i one of the things i wanted to do on this crossing was um swim with the whales so not that i can swim but uh get into the water when the whales and the dolphins are around so the first few days when we came across pods of whales like i was putting on my harness and jumping in the water hoping that they'd come really close like you know because i just thought like what an opportunity to have uh, did they no, 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 no chance. And the one day I nearly got close to that, there was these kind of two super schools of dolphins, or maybe it was the same school, I'm not sure, but they were around the boat. And by the time I got myself ready, because I have to like firstly strip off all my clothes, then put a climbing harness on and then clip in the boat into the boat and I had to get rid of oars to jump in properly before, so I wouldn't tangle the lines. So There's a bit to it. By the time I got in, they were gone. So I stayed in there for about 20 minutes waiting and then hoping they'd come back. So I was like, oh, they're gone for the day. So I got out and then they came back <laughs> just as I'd like dried myself, you know. So that was as close as I got. But uh, otherwise, I mean, bird life every day. But sea turtles was another one. So quite a bit. And a sunfish. Um, oh, they're the huge looking things. Big, ugly looking thing. Yeah, yeah. Had one of them one day right beside the, trying to eat. Um most, uh, what did I call them? Oh, those things in the, the things of the on the bottom of the boat trying to eat those off, yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't need enough of them. And then uh, uh, just another <laughs> one. Can, can I, can I, can I, can I, I, you, uh, I, I want to ask you. like my inner five-year-old go, Damien, you tell me a story about a storm. Oh yeah. A big storm. Go on, tell me a story. I'm just excited. I feel like my little son, but <laughs> Damien, tell me a story. Day 24, the biggest storm I've ever gone through. Uh, Day 24. 175 days I've spent on the ocean and this was by far the most scary kind of um, fearful um, dreadful like I literally could feel the dread so basically uh, I capsized three times in this storm 
um, while on power anchor, which is not meant to happen. Um, so that just shows you the ferocity of it. Uh, 10, 12 meter waves gusting. At 10, 12, so waves that are like three times yeah. the size of your boat. Yeah, the yeah three boat. times the size of a, um, not three times, yeah, three times the size of a two story building, maybe. So six stories. Yeah, crazy, like just walls of water. Um, and just crashing down on you. and Gusting. Well, the boat does, the boat um, will will ride up the face and then over the top, you know. But what happens was um, if it gets, on, so what was happening was on power anchor, I didn't have enough ballast in the boat, which is weight basically underneath the uh, waterline, which would keep it as steady as it can be kept in those conditions on the power anchor, which is a parachute that sits out the front of the boat, holds about 90, um, sorry, on 90 meters of line, holds about two tons of water in it. Um, so the boat was kind of sloshing on this power anchor and the odd time when I'd surf up the face of a wave, if it had sloshed enough to one side, the break of the wave would just hit the side of the boat and that's what was capsizing me and turning and me over. And... Yeah, well, I was inside the cabin, so I just imagine been in a kind of washing machine doing a tumble, like one... And does kind water of, come in or...? Some water came in, yeah. Now that's not meant to happen uh, and it was a mistake on my part. Um, there's a an air vent on the um, cabin hatch, the big cabin hatch, and to lock it, you have to turn it like one quarter of a turn to the left, and it kind of it's a, it's a flimsy enough thing now, in fairness. And I thought I had it locked, but I hadn't had it locked, so I got it's basically like a somebody throwing a bucket of water on you while you were kind of going over 360 degrees inside. That's what it felt like, and I was, I mean, it induced some panic because. It, water's not meant to get in and now all of a sudden I had like basically a bucket of water thrown on top of me and all my electrics are in there and like the seawater just destroys everything you know so um, I'm like I'm always thinking about the threats to the expedition and, and succeeding in what I want to do and that was a huge one like so uh, the first two capsizes got like the water in and then I figured out finally that it was the the little air vent that was letting it in so I was able to close it for the next one but like you yeah, just sit there in your own farts but that was that was forecast 20 hours that storm um, and it was just downgraded from a tropical storm which is like a hurricane in North America North American standards um, so that shows you the kind of strength of what I was going through uh, and I capsized five times in the first three hours uh, sorry three times in the first five hours so then i had another 15 hours i knew that it was ending at whatever three o'clock the next day roughly and you have the and, power anchor out the full time and you're yeah just, you just have to sit there for 20 hours yeah but you're just waiting like you're just sitting lying down waiting for the next capsize like because you're pretty sure it's coming in those conditions right it didn't come but the the anticipation of it was so draining and so um, dreadful, like uh, literally, you know, because you and there's no sleeping probably. No, you can try, and I mean, if you're, if you're, I mean, to a certain extent, if you're stressed enough, like you actually will fall asleep. Um, but I didn't during that one. There was no fall. I was just during that storm in particular. I there was no falling asleep. I was um, just listening because you can the different waves make different noises and you know the sound of the one that is a possible capsize it's like this it breaks just at a certain point and then it hisses along and I'm just wait yeah I'm just sitting there and every time I hear a hiss I put out my two hands and two legs onto the cabin uh, sides and just wait for that capsize so 15 hours of that like it just and, I mean and, 
And is it true that like, you know, the calm after the storm, like is yeah. it literally that then it just goes? Whew. Yeah, yeah. But I had another storm 24 hours later. <laughs> so okay. I knew this was coming. I knew I had two storms. So 20 hours of a storm, roughly 18 hours calm and then another storm now it's thankfully the second one wasn't as um strong and powerful as the first one like the first one um so three capsizes uh ripped two oars off the boat out of their um holdings uh ripped the compass ripped the compass uh i lost like basically everything that was on deck that's when i lost my um water boiler i lost my 10 liter drinking container it bent two aerials basically 60 degrees to the boat it broke um a deck repeater screen as well so like it decimated the boat like um uh there was there was a time so when the first capsize came and went the whole cabin was wet and I went through the whole process of cleaning it and trying to get everything dry and making sure you know nothing was gone um, and I knew on the far side on the other side there's a small little cabin for storage on the other side I knew that there was dry towels in there but um, if you're to go on deck and every time you go outside the cabin you need to be clipped into the boat and one of the kind of mistakes I made was I left my climbing harness on a line so at that point the climbing harness had kind of jimmy down that line to the other side of the boat so if I was to go out I wouldn't have my climbing harness on and I then I'm really susceptible to be thrown off the boat and, and if you're thrown off the boat that's it right so I was like it's only dry towels you can put up with the wet for 20 hours or whatever it was at that point 18 hours so I didn't go out the next capsize was the one that ripped off the oars. Um, so one went on the first capsize, sorry. So I had six oars starting. The f first one went on the first capsize. And then on the second capsize, when I kind of had uh, sorted the cabin out, I looked outside uh, the hatch and I could see two oars in like still attached to the boat, but the blade was in the water. So it was one, only one point of contact with the boat. And I was like, if I lose them now, I'm like down to two oars and the chance of me getting across with just two oars is really really slim so I had to leave the cabin without putting on the climbing harness so it was like um, a case of I have to save those oars but the climbing harness is on the other side of the boat so I had to just um, I'm st starker's naked <laughs> uh, get out that cabin hatch as quick as possible and then try and have four points of contact as much as I can to get to the other end now it's only two meters but still the, the risk is there right and you're in a storm like and I'm in the storm the big 12 10 12 meter waves yeah so I like flew across the cabin hanging on to the two lines and making sure obviously my feet are um, you know as, as much as I can to walk or crawl or run across a, a deck attached it's to the ground daytime or night? it's daytime yeah and then uh grab the climbing harness put it on really quickly clip in twice into the boat so now i've got like five or six points of contact so i'm pretty safe even if the boat goes over and then i get in this wrestle with the oars and i was able to save one of them but i lost the other one unfortunately so at that point i was down to four oars i think it was i ended up anyway ended up you know a few months later but only two <laughs> yeah a few months later yeah gas it really yeah. really is um, okay, fi final thing I wanted to talk to you about is is really about spirituality and I suppose it's touched on throughout it because there is a real depth to you. There is. It's like sitting with an old oak tree talking to you in the, and I mean that in the loveliest sense that, and I'm thinking more of the tree metaphor that we're all, you know, we all look outside of ourselves all day long 
but a bit like a tree, you know, you look at a big tree and there's even more going on underneath mm. the surface. Like there's just as many roots and just as many depth to it as there is at the fruits. And I just wondered in terms of like, is spirituality for you? Is it that meeting yourself, you know, during these incredible challenging arduous tasks or what is what is spirituality or what is or and now being a, a father and having to move now to australia and all these type of things like where does what does spirituality mean to you and and how do you practice it or where does that deeper sense of meaning within life come from do you know what? i'm not sure <laughs> the obvious the sorry the honest answer is uh it's a word i uh struggle to um uh, associate anything with like if, if that makes sense like so um i've all it's always been a bit of a maybe i've just bad associations with the word or or uh, poor associations but um i my deeper sense of purpose comes from um exploring life you know that's where i've always got um, these amazing kind of uh, experiences um, internally. And and that journey for me is like the most important journey, you know. People, I mean, if you were to press me on what to, what's my picture of success, I'd be saying somebody who has a very, very healthy relationship with themselves, you know, um, with all sides of themselves, the good side and the bad side, the dark side and the light side, because that's what we're all made up of, right? Um so yeah, it's uh, so through that exploration, I've really um, uncovered uh, things within myself that um, uh, are very enriching, you know. And I've 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 gained a lot of um, worth and a lot of um, belief within myself through exposing myself to. Um, yeah, things like like we chatted about, things are difficult or or things that are challenging for me. It's not always true. Physical prism, even though that's where the basis of how I've learned to do this is. But, you know, I found in the last few years I've expanded that much more outside of, you know, the physical um, prism uh, of life and uh, and just challenging myself to be better on all levels, you know, in the, in the roles I inhabit in my life to be a, a better partner and a, you know, a better relationship with myself and a better father and a better son and a better brother and a better member of the community. Um, so yeah, it's just that constant challenge just has, has kind of lit up uh, my uh, my life and my internal world in particular. And, um, and I suppose that might be the, for me at least, that might be what you, you know, the, yeah, the spiritual maybe, journey. Yeah, I think maybe it's the internal world and your own relationship with yourself. I think that's probably how I would define it more. Yeah, it's interesting you should say that uh, about the roots thing or use the tree as an analogy. So I have um, uh, a podcast that I do just on expeditions, you know, where I try and relay uh, what I'm going through and how I'm getting through it um, because of my, it's really a kind of way to break down if you want the extremes of what I do and to just show people a, an, um, an insight into the, uh, that making that connection between genuinely challenging yourself through something that's important and what that gives you, you know, and that, the, the, the kind of journey of growth between those two things. So, um, I called it deep roots because of it, that for me, the analogy of the tree deepening itself into the ground. So it comes from a, a Tolkien quote, 
Uh, the old that are strong do not wither. Deep roots are not touched by the frost. So you imagine the frost oh, of life. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the frost of life can't get to those deep roots because you're constantly trying to deepen yourself. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, it's yeah. a bit like the internal if you're... deeper than the vicissitudes of life. If you yeah. have if you have a core, you know, if you've got a core sense of self, which is, you know, you've really got that, those things that, you know, the way you say, say if the world around you is dying, you know, you've got depths to you, which you've, you've spent time in that, you know, no matter what kind of external pressures or winds or storms come at you, you can recede into that place and yeah. go, well, here we go. I'm going to tap into that Absolute greater power. Yeah. 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 And there's a uh, beautiful, like, that's a beautiful journey of like security, you know, because of how you feel about yourself. Um, and I think if you practice that way of life, you know, and, and, and continually to expose yourself to areas of uh, discomfort for yourself, I think, you know, you're over time, you're getting into that level of like mastering yourself, you know, you know, self mastery, like, you know, and, uh, um, I think that's a good thing to do with your life. Mm. Yeah, great. And is is fatherhood next? Is that what the next adventure is? <laughs> it's definitely an adventure. Yeah, and I mean, uh, it's a challenge. I'm enjoying it, um, but it's definitely more challenging than I thought it would be. Or, you know, I, you see people all the time. You know, becoming parents and and kind of the. The inside, the look from the outside in is like, ah, oh, that's grand. Sure, everyone's doing that. Like, but then when you're in the middle of it, you're like, geez, this is actually, you know, this is a serious challenge, you know. Um, but I, I, I love the uh, role, and I'm, although like my daughter's only what twenty one months old, and a huge like her, the mother is obviously, you know, the major. She's the caregiver at that point. I am hugely excited about kind of taking more of that responsibility as things go on and playing a strong, influential role in um, in uh, guiding them in life. You know, I think that's something I'm very excited about. Yeah, I think fatherhood is definitely the greatest joy I've ever experienced, greatest love I've ever experienced, and the greatest challenge yeah. and the greatest cost, <laughs> like of, of need required. But yeah. that's like anything in life, anything that's. Harder, the reward equals the challenge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Typically. The but reward it, is in direct proportion to the challenge. Yeah, yeah. That's probably a bit like the tree, down and up. You can have shallow roots, you have a shallow tree. Yang, light mm. and dark. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, been glorious. Wonderful. Thank you so much for oh, taking you. your time to chat great, with you. Great I really, conversation. I really admire what you're doing and you as a human. Congrats. Thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, I think the, the pursuit of self-mastery and the looking into discomfort I think is such a glorious thing to be doing yeah yeah I like it <laughs> yeah yeah it's a good yeah. one um, it's taken me a while like to find my way like even when I was in rugby I was um, I was hungry like rugby was so important to me but I was still hungry to get out of that kind of constrictive bubble you know so the last kind of six or seven years have been incredibly enriching and um, and just fed me more to continue to live in this way Brilliant. And you do lots of talks to businesses or teams and you do loads of different things. Now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, speak about challenging ourselves. If you'd asked me four or five years ago, do you think you'd ever like be given talks? I would have said not in a million years. But yeah, uh, it's really um, 
grown on me, I suppose. And, and, and that was an, another area I felt I could challenge myself in and I continue to do that because it's, it's challenging to stand up in front of a, a room and, and try and uh, stay authentic to yourself and, and get a message across and, and make an impact on somebody. But so I do doing plenty of that now since I got off the boat as well. Brilliant. Well done. Yeah, well done. Nice. And people follow you on Instagram, Old Stock. Yeah, that's the one. And anything else, anywhere else? Um, uh, are you going to write a book? I'm hopefully, yeah. Like I, I should have be started by now, but I'm kind of, um, yeah, no, a book is in the works. Yeah, I hope to have something written within the next 12 months. And uh, uh, if you want to hear about the, I suppose, uh, my Everest expedition and my two Atlantic rows, Deep Roots is a great place to... Deep Roots, that's yeah. the podcast podcast yeah delve in there and you'll get a a very raw and real insight into what it's like to row an ocean it's kind of like a daily dispatch from those places you know so raw, those, raw. it's raw it is raw yeah. yeah particularly on the harder days yeah yeah imagine. brilliant well thanks again Damien yeah thanks really a lot really fair play to you. thanks to everyone who joined what a really really inspiring humble gentleman really a like, man it's of great value you, it's not what you think when you think of an explorer or someone that's played 15 years at professional rugby you think of this kind of male masculine archetype but he's more the gentleman like the evolved aspect of masculinity like this soft considered there's a gentleness like someone that has put themselves through the you know the, the gauntlet of life and has come out the other end softer gentler kinder more connected to themselves yeah i really hope you got something from that certainly i it reminded me of um the importance of hardship the importance of you know the lessons that we learn when embracing discomfort and uh i certainly spending time in damien's presence there there is a real ease and there is a, a contentment which is really, really nice as he kind of describes it. There's an element that forces you to kind of, you have to master yourself and dealing with these emotions and it builds inner resilience and resolve, um, which which uh, I just admire hugely. Nice reminder, that quote, uh, it's only true trials that does treasure come from. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Awesome. Um, yeah, I hope you really enjoyed that. Damien is old stock on Instagram if you feel like following him. He is currently writing a book and he does lots of public speaking talk. So if you feel like you need uh, an inspiring talker, he is phenomenally inspiring. Yeah, really, really good. So uh, thanks for your attention. We really, really appreciate it. We know um, you could be doing loads of other things this time and we're most grateful that you joined us. And um, yeah. Wishing you a good day ahead. Beautiful. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, anyway. Excuse thanks. That. <laughs> bye. I'll see you. Bye, 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 bye.